Welcome to Let's Finally Watch This, a podcast for casual movie fans who have always meant to watch classic movies. I'm your host, Nick Hayden. And I'm your other host, Timothy Deal. And we're getting almost back to present day. It is 2003. Indeed. Again, we know this this year pretty well. Yeah, like, hey, I was uh, 23. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I guess it's true. You always remember your... Well, no. It's really easy. I'm 1980, so... Yeah, yeah. It's it, 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 easy that, math. Yeah, that, that would be convenient. But so, yeah. We're talking about Elf. Elf. Elf, which is probably the most um, mainstream po- mainstream movie that we've put on this podcast. Yes, certainly the, the of the season. not old ones. Yeah, of the not old ones. Certainly, this season is the most well known one because I am the one who had not ever seen Elf. So I was very unusual. I think I was the only one of the group between our wives and myself who had not seen it. You're usually the only one who has seen it. <laughs> yes. If we've seen any of them. So it's true. So, and we'll talk about the reasons for yes. that here in a little while. So, anyways, before we get into the movie itself, let's rewind to the year 2003 and what is happening in film. Okay, last season when we talked about 2002, we talked about how we are definitely in the blockbuster age now with a growing number of franchises. Yes, midnight movie showings and everything. All that good stuff. And that continues to be the case here in 2003. Again, six of the top 10 movies of this year were sequels. And then there was also one Pirates of the Caribbean, which was the very first one. Spawn, man, that was, a, that was one of the movies that went to. I'm like, whatever, this is going to be dumb. And I'm like... That was a great movie. And then everyone else, I think, thought the same thing. Yes. Like, and then, they should have been dumb, but it's not. And Disney was like, oh, let's make four more of these. <laughs> and they were never quite as good. No, but, that's true. But this year saw the birth of Captain Jack Sparrow. Anyway, we also talked about the rise of digital film, um, how uh, films were starting to be made on digital video, and how George Lucas was really pushing digital projection, how post-production was going digital, how DVDs were becoming more of a thing. Mm-hmm. And that is still the case now, although some of those things are still a ways off from digital projection. It will take a while to develop in other theaters. This year, in 2003, there are really only five major films that were done in digital. Okay. Two of them by Robert Rodriguez. He, oh, interesting. He, okay. he was an early... And they were most of those five films are more indie for the most yeah. part, with the exception of Robert Rodriguez. I mean, he's kind of indie, but one of those was Spy Kids 3. Okay, so. which I remember watching. Yeah. Yep. As far as DVDs go, this year on June 15th, 2003, weekly DVD rentals outnumbered weekly VHS rentals. It's an interesting. 20 years ago, now it's like rentals. What are rentals? Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Although it's possible that might swing back around again. You never know. But I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's something I think I want to talk about when we get to our uh, end of season wrap up. Okay. But, but so that was kind of the recap, but you have some some other things were going on that we didn't talk as much about, like film exhibition. It's been something we kind of have been trailing through the last couple episodes. Right. Last time we talked a little bit about how at the beginning of the multiplexes, the 90s saw a continued boom of building of these uh, multiplexes and megaplexes, which according to Wikipedia, the difference between a multiplex and a megaplex is related to the number of screens, but the dividing line is not well defined. Some say that 16 screens in stadium seating make a megaplex, while others say that at least 24 screens are required. You walk in, if it looks mega, it's mega. (laughs) I guess so. And 
I also mentioned last time that because of the building of multiplexes, the number of screens in the United States exploded from 23,000 to 37,000 between 88 and 2000. But at the same time, the dominance of these mega theaters started killing off the smaller one screen venues. Oh, it's a Walmart effect. Yeah, basically. From 1995 to 2004, the total number of theaters in the United States fell from 7,000 to 5,629. That's a big, that's a big drop. Yeah. So the number of screens increased, but the number of theaters went down. Mm -hmm. So by 2004, only 25% of movie theaters in the United States had one screen. And there were over 500 multiplexes with more than 16 screens. So everything's consolidating, which I think at that time that happened in a lot of different industries around then. Yeah. In my sense. Yeah. The Walmarts, like you said, yeah. were getting bigger. That was when Borders mm-hmm. and Barnes & Noble were crowding out the smaller bookstores. Yeah. A whole trend. Uh, it was before the, the dot-com thing really started kind of... Then blowing those up. Yeah, blowing that up in, re- in return. So there are more screens, but fewer venues. But this increased number of screens has been credited with a more diverse movie distribution during the late 90s to early 2000s. I guess if you're not, you can get more than two films, you can have 16. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll give a screen to, to fill some, in the blank. Yeah, like they say like things like being John Malkovich or adaptation, these mm-hmm. very quirky kind of things that may not have had as much of a place for these quirky indie films to get to if... Uh, they wouldn't have as much broad appeal. This is what brought about things like fancy movie league. Suddenly you have yeah. like a million things that you can say, yeah, let's, what screens do I want? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, there was a bust of the, some of these things in the mid 2000s, but we'll talk more about that next time mm-hmm. around. But this is a Christmas movie. This is a Christmas movie, which I think is our first official Christmas movie. That's correct? right. That yeah. we've talked about here on Let's Finally Watch yes. This. So we'll touch a little bit on the history of Christmas movies. The earliest known Christmas film is apparently from 1898. Wow. A 76-second short called Santa Claus. The first film adaptation of A Christmas Carol was a five-minute short from 1901. Now, called, how many of those have there been? Um, Hundreds, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, adaptations, yes. We're talking specifically movies. Hang on I'm just curious. a second. Oh, there's a there's a whole slew of lives. Yeah, let me count these real quick. One, two, three. Wikipedia notes twenty different live action adaptations and a whole lot like more. There's if you look up adaptations of a Christmas Carol, you'll see a huge list of theater adaptations, as in play adaptations, yep. and then like again that like twenty list of live action films. And, and you got animated ones and TV and audio like TV and episodes. Yep. So there's all kinds of stuff. But yes, a Christmas Carol has been done all over the place. Yes. Turner Classic Movies has a book called Christmas in the Movies: uh, Thirty Classics to Celebrate the Season. I guess they did a new edition of that that just came out earlier this week. Oh, interesting. They added like five more movies to it. So I don't, uh, on Amazon, I was able to look at the introduction of the table of contents of this book. And it's interesting, of those 30 movies, over half of them come from the 1940s. There's a lot of the nostalgia, the ones, you know, a lot of people grew up on through syndication and other things, you mm-hmm. know. It's a Wonderful Life, A Miracle on 34th Street. Yep. Holiday Inn, mm-hmm. The Man Who Came to Dinner. Which I've, yeah, which we've seen. Um, the Bishop's Wife. Is um, White Christmas on there too? I recently saw that. That's, that's a little a bit later. That's 54. That is 50. But I know a lot of people enjoy that one. Yeah, for sure. But it is interesting. Yeah, we have a lot of nostalgia for that time. And I also imagine that it was kind of a comfort food for the people in the 1940s. That's right in the heart of World War II. Yeah. Nick, if also if you look at... 
I wanted you to look at a graph. Yes. This comes from IMDb. They have a little chart showing the trends in Christmas movies. Of Again, this shows ones that have been rated by people on IMDb. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. There's two big congregations of Christmas movies. Some spottiness, the ones in the 1940s and 50s. Yep. But then there's a huge group of them starting in like 19, the 1990s mm-hmm. into now. A ton of them, yeah. Just a lot more that have been made after that. I, but most of them don't seem very memorable anymore. Well, yeah. you, got, you got some. You got stuff like uh, kind of the new classics like A Christmas Story and... Um, the Santa Claus. Yeah, and uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ernest Saves Christmas. I guess, yeah, there were a lot. Like, there was every year, Home Alone, there was just always a, a new movie that yeah. hit the Christmas season. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Home Alone really sparked a lot. I mean, that was a huge yeah. one. It was in the theaters for way past Christmas time. But looking at this graph, it is interesting. I mean, like, there's some... There's some family and some comedy stuff in the 60s and 70s, but it, again, the one, the classics that we all know, the old ones, are probably more the 40s and 50s in that kind of group. I, I would them. argue with some of these on, like on the side, it says these top 10 Christmas movies, like Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. So Little Women. Featuring Christmas, to me, is not the same as being a Christmas movie. Yes, I agree. Now, I I enjoy the internet debate about whether Die Hard is a Christmas I do movie. Too. I mean, that's fun. It's fun to say. But yeah, it's really only a Christmas movie because it takes place at Christmas. Yeah, w- that's not quite I'd the same thing. I'd argue it for fun, but I wouldn't actually put it on my list of Christmas movies. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to say that, you also have to include like... Die Hard 2 is a Christmas movie, which no one's talking about that. Or even Iron Man 3 technically takes place at Christmas, but no one thinks about it that way. Yeah. So, yes, I agree. So there's not a whole lot of history, really, let's talk about this, but it's fun to look at some of the trends and when these things were coming out. It is almost, the Christmas movies are relatively... It was an old phenomenon, the ones we all grew up on, but there's a lot of new ones. Yeah. And interestingly, this movie, Elf, comes out a year after The Santa Claus 2, and the same year as two other major Christmas movies, Bad Santa, an R-rated black comedy, or dark comedy, yeah, and Love Actually, an R-rated romantic comedy, which of those two, probably Bad Santa is probably the more explicitly Mm Christmas-themed than Love Actually, but anyway, it just goes to show that it has become more of a zeitgeist even if it's not like a major Hollywood category. Well, I think but also because it's December is such a nice time to release a movie, they but they also wanted it to feel like you know, like Narnia came out that time. It wasn't That's true. It wasn't Christmas, but it was wintry, so they it, it worked. It, it has worked. that that magical vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's true. But let's talk about some other notable films that came out in 2003. The top grossing film of the year was the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Not surprising. Not surprising. It earned $1.14 billion. Wow. The second highest grossing film ever to that date. And it was only the second film to pass the billion dollar mark after Titanic in 1997. And of course, The Return of the King swept the Oscar categories mm-hmm. that year. It won everything it was nominated for, which was 11 Oscars. Wow. The only the, the third film in history to do that behind Ben Hur and Titanic. They both okay. they both won eleven Oscars each, and that includes Best Picture, of course, and Best Director for Peter Jackson. Uh, the Return of the King did not get any acting nominations, probably because it's more of an ensemble yeah. than any one particular actor stood out. So Best Actor went to Sean Penn for Mystic River, which is a Clint Eastwood movie, and Best Actress went to Charlize Theron for Monster. Our other nominations for this week's episode, uh, one was Mystic River, in part just because I have more respect for Clint Eastwood now after watching Unforgiven yeah. last mm-hmm. season. And then also Lost in Translation. Is it the Bill Murray? 
Yes, Lost in Translation is the Bill Murray movie, and yeah. and um, Scarlett Johansson. Yes, a very young Scarlett, well, youngish Scarlett Johansson. She's like seventeen, I think, yeah. when that was filmed. If I hadn't seen Elf and knew that was the big one, might have gone for Lost in Translation because I knew that gets talked about a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of sitting there in my like hazy, like yeah, everyone liked that thing or it was important or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some other notable events for 2003 this year saw the release of Finding Nemo, which was the second highest grossing film of the year and the highest grossing animated movie ever until being overtaken by Shrek 2 in 2004. <laughs> the very that next year. Yeah. This year also saw the release of <laughs> Boy Chase Girl at Taylor University, Fort Wayne. That, uh, that was pinnacle, um, pinnacle movie making for that director. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One of our first stories we collaborated on, Nick. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was a lot of fun. So if you haven't listened to Derailed Trains of Thought, Boy J's Girl was the third in a trilogy of... Romantic comedies. Romantic comedies. Awkward and romantic comedies about me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was such a popular film trilogy, you scared away the rest of the competition for the Falcon and Film Festival. And it was Festival. so sad. Like, I... <laughs> Yeah, that I was like, not I, your intention. I know. I like. I figured out how to do movies after the first two, and then. But it was so fun. We still got a little bit of an audience. It was fun. Yeah. But this year also saw the film debuts of Benedict Cumberpatch, Zac Efron, Josh Hutcherson, Anna Kendrick, and Chris Pratt. Nice. That's kind of what's happening in two thousand three. Man, yeah, that we do 2003. I'm like, yeah, I remember those days. Like, it was, it, movies, it was we were just watching movies all there. It was a, mm-hmm. it was kind of a new golden age of, yeah, entertaining movies. Yeah, looking back at the top 10, it's like, yeah, I remember, saw, I saw that, I saw that, I saw that. And yeah, 20 years ago, Nick, I know we're old. So, Tim, what is this movie that you had not seen? This is Elf. It is directed by John Favreau. It stars Will Ferrell with a cast that includes James Caan, Zoe Deschanel, Ed Asner, and Bob Newhart. This Christmas comedy movie begins with a prologue narrated by Papa Elf, played by Bob Newhart, who tells how an orphan infant crawled his way into Santa's sack and wound up being adopted by the North Pole Elves, who name him Buddy, based off of his diaper brand. <clears throat> After Buddy has grown into adulthood, believing himself to be an elf, he eventually learns the truth and sets out to find his human father, Walter Hobbs, in New York City. When Buddy and Walter meet, his father is taken aback by Buddy's childish naivete, outlandish claims, and, well, the fact that he's dressed like an elf. But a DNA test proves that Buddy is indeed Walter's son, and so he brings him home to meet his wife Emily and son Michael. Walter and Michael are unnerved by Buddy's bizarre behavior, but Emily insists they need to take care of him in hopes that he'll recover from his abandonment and sanity, which is what he seems to be suffering from because of his crazy wanting to put sugar on spaghetti and yeah. his obsession with Christmas stuff. Buddy, meanwhile, will try to spread Christmas cheer by singing loud for all to hear, as well as wooing his cute co-worker at Gimbel's department store, bonding with his new half-brother, and going to work with his dad at a children's book publishing company. But when no one knows quite how to respond to this man-elf child, will he be able to revive the Christmas spirit in New York? This is, of course, a color movie. It has a screen ratio of 1.85 over 1, which is 16 by 9, basically. It is 97 minutes long and rated PG for some mild, rude humor and language. 
The screenplay was originally written by David Berenbaum, but it had rewrites by John Favreau and others. John Favreau actually wasn't super interested in the original version. I guess the original version of the script was a bit darker than this is. Oh, okay. But he found the opportunity to like, oh, I think he got the idea early on to add the stop motion in the North Pole stuff. And he, he wound up making it much more of a family-friendly comedy. Okay, interesting. It was darker to begin with. Yes. I oh. mean, it's the tendency of some of these films. You know, this was yeah. the same. The other Christmas movies we're of the year were R-rated, yeah. R-rated movies. So I think the fact that this one was family-friendly made it go very well financially. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. And it has a very nice Christmassy orchestral score by John Debney. Normally this is where I ask who cares, but there are a lot of people listening who already know whether they love this movie or not. But yeah. let's go ahead and let's go ahead and talk about was it successful when it came out? It was very successful, a big success. It earned $227 million worldwide, uh, which is not bad considering it had a production budget of $33 million. Which is just dime, like pennies yeah, uh, yeah. in the movie industry. And then critic, I found this interesting. So what did the critics think of this movie? They enjoyed it too. Our friend Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave it three out of four stars and said it was one of those rare Christmas comedies that has a heart, a brain, and a wicked sense of humor, and it charms the socks right off the mantelpiece. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone observed that even though he can't get naked or use naughty words, there's a devil of comedy in Farrell, and he lets it out to play. Director John Favreau has the good sense to just stand out of his way. And A.O. Scott of the New York Times said it's a charming, silly family Christmas movie, more likely to spread real joy than migraine, indigestion, and sugar shock. It currently has an 85% score on Rotten Tomatoes based on 201 reviews. All right. People loved it then. I know people still love it now. I teach middle schoolers. Some of them, they're like, yeah, let's watch Elf. And that's what we watched last year for our Christmas party. But what difference did it make? It's been 20 years now. It was adopted as a couple things. It's been adopted as a Broadway musical in 2010. Actually, in a here, my niece was actually in a version of this play that showed Fort Wayne at the what, the First Presbyterian. Oh, okay. Showed yeah, it. First Presbyterian. Yeah, yeah, they, they do a lot music. of theater stuff. It was nice. They added some personality to some of the office people. And it oh, was, okay. It was nice. Yeah, it was good. Cool, cool. It was also adapted as a stop-motion TV special in 2014, which was positively received. And that makes sense. The stop-motion early on is cute. Yeah. Its financial success probably encouraged the ongoing production of Christmas movies. Yeah, hey, it worked. Let's keep going. Let's keep going, yeah. And it has inspired many, many memes. <laughs> so you you already know things like, you sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> or the Christmas cheer thing. Or just simply all you need is a picture of Will Ferrer going, it's Christmas! Yep, yep. Those will start showing up pretty soon here. As soon as Hall- <laughs> the moment Halloween ends. Basically. Eh, yep. Weird world we live in. <laughs> Also, as we should note, it's the first widely successful movie directed by John Favreau. It's the second movie he's directed overall, and it does mark what I think of as a pivotal turn in his career, because he was previously known as an actor. He did do some writing. He wrote a highly successful movie called Swingers, but most of his work up until this point had not been exactly family-friendly. Mm-hmm. And for me, this kind of marks a swing into doing more populist at least on the family-friendly side of things. He's on the back end of a lot of, I mean, back end of Iron Man when it first got started. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the Disney, whether you like them or not, it's a lot of the Disney remake things. Yeah. Mandalorian. That's right. In between this and Iron Man, he directed a film called Zathura, 
Which oh yeah, was, which is Jumanji but in space. Exactly. He did that. He did that. Oh, nice. That was fun. But yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed that movie, and even though it didn't do super well financially. It was a really, it was a pretty fun movie. So that's that's just interesting. But yeah, big turning point in his career, I, I would say. He he's pretty good. It seems like he's pretty about just doing things that are um, a little sillier or a little more off than you might normally see. Be like, you got Grogu, you got you know, <laughs> you know things that. Comic book movies were not necessarily looked at as, as a big deal until Iron Man. If you look at his resume, there's a lot of things that are definitely kind of appealed to a broad audience, but at the same time, not doing lowest common denominator stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, Trying to do new things with old stuff. Yeah, which I think is pretty admirable. All right. What are lists or other things that this movie might show up on? Well, it is a very popular Christmas movie, as you said. So it has appeared in many publications lists of great Christmas movies, including Entertainment Weekly. It's at number four. San Francisco Chronicle ranked it at, also ranked it at number four. The Guardian also at number four. The Hollywood Reporter at number six. Forbes number seven. Newsday number seven. Empire number eleven. Chicago Tribune number seventeen. And you can find more on Wikipedia. And it's actually pretty impressive for not being as old as a lot of the classic ones. Yeah. I mean, it just turned 20 years old. Yeah. So that's, yeah. It, even even Home Alone's about, is it 30, 10 years? It's probably about 30 years. About 30 years point. old, yeah. yeah. For sure. Now, before we learn how to build the latest in extreme graphic chipset processors, let's recite the code of the elves, shall we? Number one. Treat every day like Christmas. Number two. There's room for everyone on the nice list. Number three. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. All right, so Tim, now it's time to get to what we think. Obviously, my history with Elf, I had seen it. I had a niece who had been, and I don't know if I saw it when it first came out or not. I actually don't remember. Do you know how often you've seen it? Is this one I, have that you... I have not seen it. In recent years, I've seen it much more often than I had previously. Like until two or three years ago, I think I had seen parts of it, but I had not. it was not part of my general rotation, I guess, but... Being around middle schoolers, I've seen it much more often, it seems, recently. Mm -hmm. I had not gotten around to seeing it largely because I tend to be on the suspicious side of modern comedy. Mm -hmm. Even if it's something is made to be family-friendly, I kind of expect a certain cynicism or a certain kind of extreme of some sort. Yeah. And my observations of Will Ferrell fairly early on was that he was following in like the Jim Carrey style of comedy, which I was not a huge fan of that kind of extreme style of like yelling and being hyperactive and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I know I'm kind of unusual as a guy in that regard. I I feel like this is a question I've asked myself even last season. We talked about Marx brothers, why I have this like, I enjoy their kind of zany behavior, but like the modern stuff, I just don't as much. So maybe we'll get into that in a minute. But that being said, you want to hear our initial reactions to this? Let's see what it is. Okay. All right. Since I'm the only newbie for this one, uh, having seen it now, I know why I waited so long to watch it and why everyone else liked it for so long. I'm not a fan of embarrassment style comedy, the awkward situations, the cringe things. As a result, I liked act three of this a lot more than act one. I do appreciate that it is very heartfelt and, you know, as that Christmassy feeling that makes for a Christmas classic. So I I get that. I get why it, it has remained popular. 
it's just it's not gonna enter my uh, annual tradition folks sorry it's just not <laughs> nick how about you um it's been a while since i've watched it kind of like seriously you know like in a contest where it's not like tons of people talking we're just kind of having the background and i yeah it's still enjoyable and it like it does have that kind of that heartfeltness of like some of the classic christmas stuff but it's you know it has its sort of modern uh references a lot of old stuff and I think it works. I completely understand why it's become kind of a new classic for a lot of people. This is not my first viewing, and I'm in the camp that doesn't get the hype. It's funny. I'll give it that. It's harmless. It's cute. The type of silliness is not quite my style, I think. And there are some things that I have difficulty suspending my disbelief again. Like, I don't quite get why Jovi ends up liking Buddy, for instance. Yeah, harmless, but not my taste. I've always enjoyed Elf. I think it's hilarious. I don't know if that's... I would have seen it the first time before kids, for sure. Yeah, and it was just fun to share share with my kids then. They love it. But I think why I like it uh, is... I mean, I don't mind the the physical comedy. I mean, that's kind of my thing. But um, also, just the idea of... I mean, you do have to suspend belief quite a bit, but just the idea of him coming to this world from a like a magical land into like gritty New York and just his innocent absorption of it, it just that that just strikes me as I don't know, it's just very interesting and and humorous. And then I do like the the whole story of the dad, though again not totally believable and I just like the story of him coming around and becoming a better dad all right so that was us a week ago or so so what what stuck most with us I know part of it I noticed a new and you you mentioned it in your thing that it is heartfelt that it's not cynical yeah, and given, again, like I said, there was a trend or a possibility that it could have gone that way very easily, I appreciate that it, it doesn't. It's not lampooning the elves or the Christmas traditions or anything like that. It, it cares. Yeah. And that counts for a lot. And I think Buddy's innocence could have been mocked, mm-hmm. but it's never, I mean, it's, it's played for laughs, but it's never mocked. Yeah. And I think that's a really... I'm not sure that would be super easy to... I, there's lots of ways you could have gone wrong on that, I think. For sure. For sure. I mean, we live in a pretty cynical age. I mean, even... I did see John Favreau very purposely set it in New York because he wanted to give New York something to celebrate. And, you know, this is still in the aftermath of 9-11, mm-hmm. essentially. And so having something beautiful there, you can certainly respect that choice. Like, yeah. it feels like it was a conscious choice. And it's interesting, too, that... I sometimes, certain movies that like overplay the Santa mystical, like almost virtual Santa, uh-huh. I can't do it, but it's just a thing. They don't try to explain it. They just, <laughs> it just is Santa. Yeah. That works well in this modern context too, I think. It does. And the stuff with the father played by James Kahn, who I guess has, he's from some of the Godfather movies. Okay. So hard boiled New York looking kind yeah. of guy. His workplace at a children's book company. I mean, even that could have gone more cynical than they did. I mean, it was it was amusing seeing them talk, throwing out ideas about like we're gonna make this story about a peach. What's more vulnerable than a peach? <laughs> but it's all kind of fun. But it is kind of fun. Yeah, they they could have they could have easily gone darker with it than they did. What have you guys got so far? Uh 
We were thinking uh, something like this. Uh, we open on a young tomato. He's had some tough times down at the farm. You know, rabbits. No. And no tomatoes. Too vulnerable. Kids, they're already vulnerable. No, you see, I, I, I told you guys. It's a, I told them the very same and No thing. farms. Everybody's pushing small town rural. Farm book would just be white noise. Because this isn't satire. Yeah. And it could have been. Yeah. And I think the fact that it continually, that Buddy is a good guy. And the parents are good people, too. And, and, and even the dad is not, he's not like twirling mustache evil. He just, he's over business oriented and kind of over his head yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's definitely a redemptive arc that they could go on. Like, Buddy helps bring their family back together yeah. in some ways. And it breaks up their normal routine. But yeah, he doesn't start off in a horribly evil place. Yeah, and it does seem like also just that Buddy encapsulates all those things we want to be true about Christmas, that it is innocent, that the big tree and the sugar (laughs) everywhere and the decorations that come easily. Sure. So I think he's easy to do. I think for some people, he's become the embodiment of sort of the the Christmas child that they want to still be. Mm -hmm. And then I traveled to the seven levels of the candy cane forest. Past the sea of swirly, twirly gumdrops. And then I walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. So where were you for the last 30 years? The North Pole. Can you pass the maple syrup, please? I, I didn't put... It's spaghetti. You know what? I think I have something. Yes. You like sugar, huh? Is there sugar and syrup? Yes. Then yes! We elves try to stick to the four main food groups. Candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. I'm over psychoanalyzing here, but... <laughs> you know, but he has that... He has that... He, he, he he's does. easy to like. I, well, I know some of the humor you don't care for as much, but I think he's still... In, you can't really dislike him, I don't think. Dislike is... Yeah, not dislike. I'm not sure I particularly like at the same time. So here, here's my thing. Yeah. I mean, I was not a very hyperactive child, so maybe yeah. that's one of the reasons why his histronics sometimes rub me the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. And this is for me. This is also the biggest suspension of disbelief issue in this movie. I don't care that like he j- he just started walking from the North Pole and ended up in New York. Yeah, that's like okay, Christmas magic stuff. I yeah. can accept that. But it's very strange to me that he has so little awareness of the human world when the elves that he's working with, from most appearances don't seem that backwards. Yeah. Like Santa isn't just making like wooden toys and expecting kids to like him. He, when he talks to his brothers, like, Oh no, you wanted this. He, and he lists a very specific brand of skateboard. Yeah. They, they were able to trace his human parents. He was at an orphanage. They yeah. were able to figure out who his father and mother were. You know, it is interesting because it, he does, he is the sort of character that's like, he's not that way because he grew up in, in the North pole. It seems like he's always going to be a little, Strange. He just has a certain bent because he has North Pole I- experience versus. But that's my problem, though. I, th- I feel like it's so extreme. Like even even when he's in the North Pole, even when Buddy's in the North yeah. Pole, he doesn't feel quite as extreme as he, he does when he's in New York. Yeah. And that's just odd to me. Again, there are moments that are that are funny. I mean, there are certainly moments that I laughed out loud. Yeah. But for me, that's what keeps us from being a classic. I, I I can't quite buy into it wholeheartedly. Yeah, see, and I guess I just don't have that problem. I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm in it just for fun. And see, I've always enjoyed more than you have some Will Ferrell's absurdity. Uh. Um, and that's, 
That's fine. My, but no, I know. This just how different people come to it because well, my humor is a little more absurd <laughs> generally <laughs> the whole time too. Um, and I feel I feel like sometimes I enjoy absurd humor, but in smaller doses. Yeah, I feel like if it's a, when you go into like a full length motion picture sort of scenario, it's harder for me. Like. Okay, Monty Python the Holy Grail works, but that's really just a series of skits Scene, yeah, of scenes yeah. just kind of stapled together. Yeah. This when you're trying to like, actually have a heartfelt story, I feel like I want just a little bit more realism. I think it's good. I feel yeah. for me that's why I like I think the Santa Claus is still much more of a mm-hmm. classic modern Christmas movie for me. Now I think we both agree that whether you depending on what you feel about Will Ferrell, that he plays his role great. Oh yeah. He's full in. Basically, whether you like this movie or not, basically depends on Will Ferrell. I mean, in many ways, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. because he is the movie, and it would it doesn't work without him. Yeah, no, he. And I'm not sure anyone else could have done that role. Not quite. I mean, not in that same way. Not the, not in the same way for sure. Again, I said earlier he feels like he's in the walking in the footsteps of Jim Carrey mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense, but even Jim Carrey would have had a very different feel for. Yeah. I mean. And Jim Carrey can do serious movies, and Will Ferrell would later do some serious movies. I love Stranger Than yeah. Fiction, but it would still have a different vibe to it. I'll say this about Will Ferrell: he does have an he has quite the range. Even mm-hmm. though he does some of the wild characters, he's also done some more straight man characters, yeah. and that helps. I think help make Buddy. It does give him the heart that he might not have had otherwise. Yeah, because he, yeah, because Buddy's while he's extreme, some way he's toned back from other Will Ferrell characters yeah. at least in some of the other aspects compared to say Talladega Nights or uh Ron Burgundy or you know okay. they're a little, a little more uh they would not be quite as family friendly sure one yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotcha you're my sick yeah but that's not what we're here we're here to do a test Come on. what kind of test just a test to find out if you're my son or not why am I sitting on paper because it's sanitary for the other patients now sit still so I can do the finger prick <gasps> finger prick Oh, it's cold. Yeah, just please sit still, please. Okay, can I listen to your necklace? No, you can't. Can you just sit still? Why is there a skeleton? I don't know. What Walter? Could you please? Like could you please have him sit Does still so I can do no, this? No, he hasn't got a name. I'm sorry, I'm Ben. I'm sorry. Would you please sit still? Please. He got mad at me. Yes, he did. He did. The sooner you sit still, the sooner we can get this mess over. Man. Okay. Then can we eat sugar plums? You betcha. We'll eat sugar plums and gingerbread houses, okay. and we'll even paint eggs. We'll paint eggs. That's easier. Ow! All right. Anything else we want to say about the movie? I mean, this is probably the mo- the movie most of our audience has watched. <laughs> I guess the one thing I wouldn't mind have seen more in this the children's publishing stuff. I I got a kick out of most of those scenes. I think there was a little bit more in the in the play version of on that. Was it? They, they okay. expand some of that. No, I don't. I'm saying a ton, but I, I feel like there was more character in the office and stuff going on. Mm-hmm. You have me curious what the, the musical version would, would be like. Another thing that it'd be interesting to see played out a little bit more is Zoe Deschanel's character. I think there's a little more, I don't think it changes a ton of things and it's been a while since I've seen it, but I do think there's just a little extra scenes here and there. Yeah, not a ton with her though, I don't think. Because I remember hearing that the singing stuff wasn't originally in the scripts, but, no. but John Favreau found out that she has a great voice. Yeah. And so he added that and I enjoy those scenes, but it also feels a little added in at the same mm-hmm. time, like like the scene of her singing at the park. Yeah. It's like, eh, okay, Santa Claus is coming down. Yeah, sure. That doesn't really tug on my heartstrings, but yeah, I, get, yeah. I get for some people it would. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see that develop a little bit more, maybe. Oh, 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 oh,
So do we have questions for this one? Yeah, we got a couple. My questions, I don't know, are, are kind of in the middle ground well, between... It's hard to do seriously silly is the same thing at this point. Exactly. So maybe these are more of a... There's a creative and there's a consumer one okay. in here. So okay. first, what would be your pitch for a full-length live-action stop-motion hybrid movie? Because I, I really enjoy the stop-motion and the North Pole stuff. Yeah. And apparently they did a full stop-motion adaptation. Well, of this, you but, live and So it's like Who and Rod Rabbit with stop-motion. Yes, Oh. Not necessarily related to this movie particularly. Could it be Christmas? It could be. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. There's a peach. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of actually do want to do a peach. Um, okay, that's interesting. See, stop motion only ever makes me think of Californian raisins. Um, <laughs> so we need, I guess you need some sort of food. Why not? Okay. Um, we're just going to go with the peach because why not? <laughs> okay. James of the Giant Peach. Oh, wait, that's been it there. is one already. Yeah. Now that with the live action would be interesting. I mean, it's already weird as all get up. It's rolled doll. Mm. Um, I think it's got to be this young boy and this Peach. And I, I think I'm stealing this from sort of some cover of graphic novel. Okay. Um, well, no, it was about garlic in that one actually. <laughs> okay. Garlic the Vampire Killer or something like that. But I think I think the Peach needs a sword. And he's out to like rescue his sister i don't know who was taken from their tree and so the boy and him and the peach are all together on this on this adventure okay yeah the boy and the peach are on the boy and the peach and the boy's just normal like you know what seven-year-old boy whatever doing stuff so the boy and the the peach though is like you know kind of over overly adventurous he has a sword and okay is the boy is the boy live action yeah the boy's live action the peach is not okay and i think i think maybe we just have lots of inanimate objects that are stop motioned nice I feel like uh, the peach be a little bit like the night thing from um, Labyrinth. What is that? Oh, uh, Sir Didymus? Yeah, so a little, little overblown. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's fun. Okay, yep. cool. I gave you a hard one. All right, so you okay. want to... Well, this is, this is my, I guess, somewhat serious one. Give me a thumbnail sketch of the serious version of Elf. And at least I didn't know there was a serious one. When I thought all this question, I thought, assume that he's not Elf. This is some sort of delusional thing. Oh, really? Yeah. So give me give me give me the the thumbnail sketch of that Christmas movie. Hmm, this is tricky because the problem I, I can see maybe why they did this because if you go with like he is like insane, then it becomes a f- kind of sad commentary on how people treat the mentally handicapped. Uh, yeah, is there a redemption you can pull out? I'm, I'm, Does he still change his? Yeah, I'm trying to decide. Father? I'm trying to decide. Yeah, if the family winds up accepting him or if he, if he just. You you go super dark and he just becomes a homeless <laughs> homeless elf on the street. elf on the street uh, adopted from some. I almost want to go in that direction. Okay, okay, it, get, I I made a dark one for an answer one time. I think <laughs> because this well four second street. I made a dark four second street. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because basically, is is this guy who's just obsessed with the fact that with Santa and the North Pole, and he won't break out of the delusion that that's where he's from, and his family just can't keep supporting this man child they don't have space in their apartment the father has lost basically loses his job because he's trying to take care of it santa doesn't come to the rescue uh he doesn't have any ideas for a new book so the father basically this guy's obsession has broken up the family instead of saving it that's kind of horrible (laughs) i don't have a good way to that's not a christmas i guess it is a christmas just like Life is horrible. (laughs) It's snowing. (laughs) Yeah, no, I wouldn't want to watch this movie either, to be honest. I'm just, 
I was taking, like, trying to figure out if I was going in the complete opposite direction. These are the direction. No, this no, is it, what the movie would be. True, though, because when they, they, they throw that, again, suspension of disbelief, like, oh, he's, he's having this mental break because of, you have to adopt him so that he can give up this thing. Like, that's what, isn't that what the doctor says, basically? Yeah, basically, so he can give up the, his fantasies, yeah. essentially. So either, now, either you break him or you break the family, okay. one, one way or the other. Do you think his, uh, this is deep, armchair psychoanalyzing maybe his whole like being super like even extreme even for elves maybe that's from his abandonment issues oh that he went so wholeheartedly so hardly into christmas stuff yeah there you go there's your explanation yeah somewhat but like (laughs) i would accept that more if he knew that he had been abandoned you know the fact he knows even he doesn't know Mm. anyway second question here (laughs) okay Um, go way too deep on this so this is my audience question for you. Yeah. What do you like to see in a Christmas movie? Oh, that's hard because I I don't watch a lot of new, like my favorite Christmas movies are tend to be old ones. Like It's a Wonderful Life and Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh-huh. Um, but I do think it's essential to have that sense of family ties, togetherness, fraternity, brotherhood, you know, sort of <laughs> French Revolution, sort of, okay, not quite that deep, but <laughs> heads will roll. Uh, <laughs> heads will roll this Christmas. <laughs> the French Revolution celebrates <laughs> brotherhood, fraternity, and claws. Anyways. Um, no, Chris- I, I Christmas think- Eve with Robespierre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um Christmas sleigh. Let them eat gingerbread. Um, there's a lot of good Christmas movies right there. This was a this was our other podcast. We're doing what if? Um, no, but I think there's a lot of that. Like everything works out well. That the family, like everyone, comes together. There's this this peace peace on earth. I mean, there's a lot of that. I mean, mm-hmm. even even on the small scale. I mean, I want that in a lot of movies, but I feel like that's essential for a Christmas movie. Yeah, for it to be Christmassy, not just take place at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Now, I prefer them if they have some sort of pointing towards something greater, you know. Some mention of the actual Christmas story. Of the story. actual Christmas story. Or even, I mean, like, theoretically, Mother's Christmas Carol doesn't quite, but it has this idea of salvation attached to Scrooge, mm-hmm. of learning and be, you know, there, there's this this undercurrent of Christianity. And I think even in It's One of Life, it never actually said, but there's this undercurrent of life and goodness and virtue and... And love. And love. And I think that's, yeah, that, that, that love, that idea that, and that love is, it comes off as real and meaningful and. It's true wherever you find love, it feels like, like Christmas. I mean, yeah, that is, that is one of the better encapsulations of a Christmas movie because I guess I don't need the retelling of the Christmas story, but that's something different to me than a Christmas movie. Sure. That's truth and not like, I don't need that in 10 different ways necessarily. So I guess, yeah, I guess just the idea of that, of a real sense of love and community and peace and all the sadness becomes untrue. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like those things too. All right. Do you have any other? Oh, do I have another one? Do you have another one? What do you think is the least sympathetic vegetable? (laughs) (laughs) Since we're going with the kids book thing. Kale. Kale. Okay. Done. I really didn't have another one, but there you go. Actually, would you play? Would you play a board game of the traveling from through the Canyon Cane Forest, through the Lincoln Bridge, the travels of Elf of Buddy? Sure. Yeah, I, th- I think we need to make that. Okay, that's fine. That's, I, that's all we got. Okay. okay, I'm done. So, Tim, did we like the movie? Well enough. I, I enjoyed it. I understand why people love it. Um, yeah. I have no problem watching it. It's not on my like 
must watch, but I never disagree if it's in there. I, I yeah. enjoy it. No, I, I, I can't begrudge this one. It would feel like a Scrooge if it's like, no, you shouldn't watch that. <laughs> it's, it's not my taste, but you know, if you enjoy it, and all the more power not, to and it you. It seems like even if it's not your taste, it's still funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There were definitely moments that caught me by surprise. And there are other moments like, oh, gosh, is this done yet? <laughs> um, I, I, I just find it pretty hilarious. I, I'm, like, I'm with my wife. I find it pretty hilarious. Awesome. So. Um, and what do we recommend to do? Anyone or just select audiences? I mean, just probably any, any, anyone who's not me has probably seen it already. Just, I mean, I think in the Pantheon and Christmas movies, it's basically a no-brainer to watch at some point. Yeah. I, I mean, mean it's, it's worth it, it to it's understand be, it's become, the It really has become one of those new classics. Whether you think it should be in your top 10, yeah, watch it if you have not. It, <laughs> it has certainly entered that that sphere of, uh, it's reached that saturation point for sure. Yes. That, Probably everybody knows it. So if you haven't seen it, you probably should. And you're, yeah, it's worth, I think it's worth watching at least once. All right. I guess that is our episode, which is the most interesting one we've done, I think, just because it was the most, (laughs) yeah, well-known. I mean, Modern well-known. We've wa- we watched classic well-known ones. Yeah, I mean, so. it, it's tricky to find ones from the in the last twenty years that we haven't seen that aren't just because they're like uber dark dramatic stuff. Yeah. So it was definitely nice this year since we did that last year. To we're gonna end on some lighter stuff. Although this next movie, no promises. Yeah. So 2013, we're watching the tale of Princess Kaguya. Did I say? It? I think that's right. It's a Studio Ghibli movie, correct? Correct. So this will be our first animated movie we've talked about here on Let's Finally Watch This. And it's kind of, I think it has some Japanese fairy tale stuff going on. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it too. I don't know whether it ends happily or not though. So we shall see. Yes. All right. um, Until next time, uh, you can please visit DearOldTrainsOfThought.com for all your other podcast needs. You don't need any (laughs) other podcast. Just listen to ours. That's it. That's it. Visit us on Twitter, on Facebook. Meet me even on X. Yep. Email us at dearroadtrains at gmail.com. One singular X. We're not on those other X sites. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> X to those X's. That's right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this has been Nick. And this is Tim. Adios. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.